Welcome to episode 7 of the Dollars and Doctors show. I'm your host, Kirthaj Varn, founder and financial planner at White Coat Financial. On today's episode, I interview Dr. Amrit Bilku. Dr. Bilku graduated from the Illinois College of Optometry in 2019, where she was awarded Colleague of the Year, Clinical Honors Recognition, and the Dr. H.J. Luckhard Memorial Scholarship. She then completed a vision therapy and rehabilitation residency at UC Berkeley School of Optometry. Throughout her residency education, Dr. Bilku managed patients with amblyopia, strabismus, binocular vision dysfunction, and visual perceptual challenges. Dr. Bilku is also the creator and co-host of the popular podcast, The Four Eyes Optometry Podcast. Dr. Bilku and her co-hosts interview influential optometrists and ophthalmologists who are making a difference in the profession, and they highlight articles or resources that provide value to one's optometric clinical knowledge. So without further ado, let's get right to it. And so of all the different, and in undergrad, so of all the different professions you could have went into, what made you choose optometry? Uh, that's a great question. And I think every time someone asks me that, I, I feel like they're expecting a really like vibrant, you know, motivational answer. Unfortunately, life gets real. And um, I just knew that I wanted to be in the healthcare field um, when I was in undergrad. So, you know, my first year picked a health science course. I knew that would prep me to get into whatever I, I wanted to. And um, I actually had zero clue what to get into. And my mom was the one who recommended optometry. Um, she was just like, it looks like a clean job. You don't have to touch people or smell their breath. <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, you know, to be honest, that was what led me to read more about optometry, shadow optometrists. Um, but then eventually getting into optometry school, I, I then definitely fell in love. And then I found my passion for it and being an eye care professional, understanding the importance of eye care. Um, so yeah, the initial, um, you know, selection for optometry was not that um, special, but definitely fell in love with it once school began. That was, that was really it. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. It doesn't have to be this like motivational and inspirational story that you could write a Hollywood script about. Yeah. Sometimes it's just as simple as, well, someone told me to do it. I met someone who was in the industry. It seemed pretty yeah. cool. And I started doing it. And I think yeah. with passion, most of that stuff is formed by doing something over and over again and seeing how important it actually is. to people. So yeah, exactly what you did. Um, but yeah, I, I'm definitely, I think just a person who tries to live like a practical life. I I'm very black and white. Like if something just makes sense and it's very straightforward and I can do it, then, then I'll do it. So I think that's, yeah, it was my practical answer for optometry. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And then obviously you went to a great school. You went to ICO in 2019. Um, and then for residency, obviously you went to Berkeley. Um, what made you decide on Berkeley? And I'm going to assume it was obviously great weather and plus your partner also can start a work in the tech space, but was there something beyond just those two factors? Um, again, Yes. Number one. Yes. Practicality. Uh, my significant other, my husband now, he was living in California for four years prior to me going there. And um, he was expected to be there full term, like long term, um, you know, pre pandemic. So, you know, I, I knew that 
you know, of course, after school, you know, you want to then finally connect with your significant other, get married, start a family. I figured California is a great place because yes, the weather. Um, but really, this might sound cheesy, but I did really uh, manifest a few of my childhood dreams. So, you know, I was like, what, 12 years old, 13 years old, you're sitting on the couch and you're watching, you know, MTV and you watch all those California reality shows and, you know, I've never traveled there. It just looked like such a magical place on TV. And in all those, you know, chick flick movies, you know, they're always the, the, the college guy that goes to Berkeley. So you think that Berkeley is so prestigious. Um, so when I was younger, I mean, I always dreamed of just being in that environment, right? Being from Toronto, that's definitely not a setting that's similar to California, right? So it definitely looks more magical on the West Coast. Um, so I really did try to manifest that when I realized I want to do a vision therapy and rehabilitation residency program. My significant other lives in San Jose and the UC Berkeley School of Optometry provides that residency training. How perfect I can merge those two things together, practicality and my vision and my dreams. Um, and so that kind of all meshed together. And then luckily I, I was selected. So it was, it was a great year of my life uh, before the pandemic hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely talk about the pandemic, but it, yeah. it's, it's beautiful that you actually got to like witness that manifestation. I'm a big believer in like law of attraction and all these things. Yes. And I don't think that stuff happens by accident. So it's so great that you actually yeah. got to do that. Cause obviously now you're back in Toronto and you don't have the same sort of scenery and, and warm weather that you, you got to obviously enjoy there. And then hard to your partner is also back in, in Ontario. So it's like, it really was that one little moment in time that you got to take advantage of it. Yeah. It almost feels like a dream now, honestly, like we had one year um, after five years of long distance <laughs> to finally be together, um, enjoy each other's company. Um, and yeah, enjoy really, really good weather. And um yeah, now it just feels like a dream. Three years later, I'm still here with the cold and the snow and the rain all over again. Um, but but I love Toronto. I won't talk that much smack about it anymore. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. I will just because I'm on the West Coast and I think it's yes. better. Um, but Toronto is a great place. And yeah. correct me if I have my timeline wrong. You finished at Berkeley and then you came back to Ontario to start practicing. And mm -hmm. this was in 2020 during the pandemic and the job action that was happening with, with OHIP. Is that correct? Um, I I think so. To be honest, the, the job action and the pandemic timelines are kind of a blur, but I do think they started around the same time. Um, I can even fact check for that for you, by the way, just being saying that off record. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I uh, graduated from the residency program um, in the summer of 2020 when the pandemic was real, you know, lockdown was true. And a lot of optometry offices were shut down in Toronto. Um, in the US, I think the lockdown restrictions were a little bit different where, you know, healthcare had a lot more flexibility to remain open as long as they were following procedures. Um, so finding a job was definitely scary. Um, but luckily, I actually did not have any trouble finding a job. Um, I advertise myself more on LinkedIn, indeed, you know, on social media. And um, I think the fact that I had that residency training um, grabbed the attention of certain clinics that offer vision therapy. 
right? Because those places are looking for, you know, ODs that have more experience and a passion for that. Um, so I, I was lucky enough to move back home and find a job in September by the time the license was approved to work. Um, and then, yeah, then the job action hit, which was the strike that optometrists went through in Ontario um, because the government funded eye care services um, were pretty outdated. They have not been updated for almost 30 years at that point. And then, of course, with the pandemic, with inflation, you know, it just it's not a feasible way for optometrists to work. Um, and as a new grad OD, yeah, that was definitely scary. Um, the concept was scary, but honestly, the camaraderie between all 2000 plus optometrists who decided to strike together uh, gave me a lot of confidence. So I, I was not scared once I knew how many people were on board. Um, you really do have strength in numbers. And I, I had faith that, you know, my career was definitely going to improve um, because of the way that we're all supporting each other to get better compensation and better services, um, you know, for the patients. Um, so yeah, it, it, then of course it became my normal because we were on strike unexpectedly for three months, um, much longer than what we expected. So it definitely became my normal. Um, and yeah, financially I had to really figure that out, but luckily you were there to help me out with that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's when we first met was around when you first started practicing here. And I can yeah. imagine how stressful that would be of, yeah, first you have the pandemic. Um, and I think it was partially maybe the pandemic that caused a lot of optometrists to want to renegotiate because now you're sending, you know, patients that you should be seeing in your clinic to emergency or, or other places where yeah. those systems are already exasperated with the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's obviously it's scary, but it's kind of nice that you got thrown into this situation where if you were practicing maybe a year before, it would have been even more terrifying. Now this yes. is your first experience. You get to see how many people are, are sort of banding together to help out. Plus, it's just, it's not new. It was just like what you're used to right out the gate. Yeah, that that's how I started my experience. So uh, it, it's definitely more daunting to do a job action for people who are well-established. Um, new cold starts that opened right before the strike because yes with the pandemic um you know optometry offices were already working at a loss with the ohip you know um compensation as it was and now you know almost three quarters of that patient population is not even showing up now because everyone's afraid to leave their home so now you're you're not profiting you're still not profiting but now you're working at you know, triple, quadruple the loss. Um, so a lot of offices actually had to shut down and some optometrists had to question retiring much earlier than planned. Um, but for me, luckily, yeah, I, I was starting at a blank slate. So, um, and thanks to your help, you, I mean, you're the one who helped navigate my, um, my income at that time, you know, cause we don't know where it was going to go. How are we going to allocate, you know, my contributions to, um, my family and my home and my bills. Um, so yeah, uh, but luckily we got through it, which was good. <laughs> yeah. And maybe th this was also another one of those like manifestation moments or perfect timing. Cause I would assume that's when the podcast started as well. Correct. Cause you guys were home. You maybe yeah. had the extra time. 
because you were obviously already probably active on social media and LinkedIn and all these places to get your job. But then if you're not working as much. Is that really what caused the, the birth of the, the podcast being home and because of the pandemic? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Like, I think I had the idea of the podcast um, in my mind for a couple of weeks to months um, in my residency program. Mm -hmm. um, and this podcast was between myself and three other co-hosts. And we're all colleagues that graduated from ICO in the same class. So um, I, I, I'm definitely a creative person. I've always had a little bit of that creative outlet, but I never really used social media to be creative um, prior to my residency program. Um, because I wasn't really aware that optometry was um, that active on social media, right? And and also, I still had that idea of my career in a traditional sense. Like, you know, you go to school, you graduate, you work as a doctor, and then you go home and you silently, like, you know, like no one can find you on the internet and, you know, they just rank you on WebMD or whatever it is and that's it. Um, but yeah, when we were home, I mean... Yeah, I think everyone had a lot of free time. And I think that was one of the most precious moments on the entire planet for this generation of human beings, where everything stood still. Um, unfortunately, for those who have lost family members, that's probably the absolute worst time for them. But for those who luckily didn't, I mean, that was the greatest time in the world for everyone to really reconnect with themselves find out what they were interested in, learn new hobbies, learn new things, um, and, and work on their own mental health. So the podcast was great. It was a great way for us four friends to reconnect since we all live on other sides of the continent. So timing to record that podcast and to make it was, was not an issue. Um, so that was the best time. It was, it was great. Yeah, I, I think it's beautiful because I think in one of your more recent episodes, or maybe it was old, I don't remember, but you said something about at your wedding was the first time that you had actually seen, you know, your colleagues since I think it was like 2018 or something like that. Yeah, not even uh, graduation, pre-graduation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was only or not only because, but uh, it could be heavily attributed to the podcast. You guys stayed that close and, you know, oh, stayed yeah. up to date with one another's lives. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. I mean. We also went like full blast on our podcast um, in the first year. We released new episodes every single week for months. And so we pre-recorded those episodes. You know, we would be recording interviews um, almost three to four times a week. You know, when when COVID mm -hmm. was really, you know, when the lockdown was there, you know, when when everyone was home for a good month, we recorded episodes like three or four times a week. And then we consistently recorded episodes once a week or once every two weeks um, to get the machine going. Um, so we'd be talking to each other every single week. Like we knew what was happening in each other's lives. Um, and then even when we took our short season breaks, what we called them, um, we wouldn't record for maybe two to three months or sorry, we would not release episodes for about two to three months. And then we'd go full on again in that seasonal break, we would be recording all of our episodes for the next season. So, I mean, we never stopped communicating with each other. Um, and that really helped our relationship just like, I mean, we're all family at, at this point, like that, that I don't think that's ever going to change. 
And it, it was so nice to connect, obviously, with other optometrists as well. Like you're talking to these people while they're going through the pandemic and yeah. off mic, you guys can rant about what's going on. You complain about OHIP, you complain about everything and just yeah. have that camaraderie um, off camera and then talk about what's going on in the industry on camera. So it, yeah. it also helped you guys as new grads connect, I would argue, with people who, you know, were, were optometrists that you maybe meant or sorry, admire from afar um oh, it's yeah. such a nice way to get your foot in the door for this this mentorship opportunity with these people that you know as new grads you might actually look up to and now they're your colleagues yeah oh a hundred percent I mean um like the podcast has definitely introduced us to amazing amazing people in the eye care industry and profession and to be honest like I'm I'm very candid about my life I'll I'm not ashamed to ever admit anything I did in the past because it got me to where I am, but I did not network as a student. I absolutely hated extracurriculars. Like I was just like, if you're going to force me to go to school to learn and to study when class is done, I'm going home and I'm watching TV and I'm eating my snacks and I'm going to bed. I don't want to socialize or network or, you know, put myself out there. I, I hated that. I don't know why even as a high school student and undergrad, I just, I cringe at that. And um, then we get into this podcast. Unexpectedly, we started to interview guests because initially the podcast was just us four speaking with each other, like our co-hosts. Um, and then when we discovered these other podcasters and other optometrists on social media, I think that's when we realized, oh, like we can, you know, connect with these people. And people requested to be on our podcast and to mm -hmm. be interviewed because, you know, they want to share their story. And that this podcast has been the absolute best thing for my, my mental health and social life associated with my career and my profession. Because, you know, you can only talk to your significant other so much about what happened at work that day. Like, you know, they, they care, but they don't really care. <laughs> um, so I've met some amazing people that are my mentors uh, my models, like I look up to them. I strive to think like them and be like them and practice like them. And yeah, I call them up and I text them privately, like just to ask about business or partnerships or, or, um, collaborations. Like I, I just ask them for advice now. And, and now I get to meet them in person at conferences, um, which feels so funny. Like sometimes I touch their arms and I'm like, wow, like you're a real person. <laughs> Um, yeah. but it was, yeah, the podcast was definitely a blessing that I, I didn't expect it to become that way. Um, but, but I definitely think it was, it was the right time for me to network too. <laughs> Finally. It, it's interesting. I didn't realize how tight knit the optometry community is until I got on social media. Cause I was like, yeah. oh, you guys all know each other. Like, and it, it wasn't like geographically bound, like didn't matter if you're in the States or in Canada or on the East Coast, on the West Coast, everyone knew each other, everyone's friends. It is really nice to see from the outside looking in. Yes. Yeah. Our industry isn't as close knit as that. Mm. Um, you guys all cheer for each other. You want the best for each other. It's so nice to see. And it's funny because it used to be the case that like only realtors were really like, you know, showcasing their lives and what they do. And yeah. If you're a doctor, exactly like you said, you do your job, you go home, no one knows about you and no one really even knows what you do. But yeah. now you guys get to showcase it, which is so important, I would say, for the average Canadian because they're like, oh, these are real people 
It's mm-hmm. less intimidating when they're sitting across the chair and they might actually feel like they know you before they even come to see you, which is so amazing. Yes. I think that's the, that's a really great thing about like what we're doing right now. Um, even for yourself, I mean, how present you are on social media and, um, podcasting now it, it's basically your word of mouth referral system, right? Like you, you don't have to openly market yourself and, you know, put those flyers on people's door handles and ring the doors and handshake anyone anymore and introduce yourself formally. I mean, patients will just go online and if they find you, yeah, they, they get to know your sense of personality just from what you're sharing online. Um, and then that's when they feel comfortable enough to come into your office and say, Oh, I saw you on your website or I saw an article featured about you. And like, I'm more comfortable coming in to see you rather than, unfortunately for some people, rather than, you know, a doctor who could be amazing at what they do, way smarter than both of us combined. And they have like 20 years of experience in what they've done. But if their display picture is an empty avatar and you can't find them online, they don't have a website for their clinic, like nothing you know, patients will question it. They'll be like, where am I, where am I going? Who am I seeing? Who is this? And that's when that white coat syndrome probably shows up because you don't know who this doctor is and what they're going to say. Um, so I think our online presence, it's like an added benefit for, for the patient. And they do come in and feel a lot more comfortable talking to you about, you know, their problems and getting your second opinion, um, when, when we're online. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important across every industry. It doesn't matter if it's healthcare, finance, yeah. like you name it. It's important to have now. And yeah. actually on that sort of note of meeting patients for the first time, obviously you go through a ton of school um, and there, you mentioned white coat syndrome, but also I found with clients and just doctors that I know, you graduate school and even though you've done residency and have all this experience, you still feel like you don't know anything. And I think that's the case with every industry. It doesn't matter when you see your first patient, that's completely yours. The training wheels are off. You're like, Oh God, I I know nothing. Um, And that's really why one of my favorite segments of the four eyes optometry podcast is your guys's case reflections. Cause as new grads, I can't imagine how hard that must've been. I'm going to go and talk about things where I might've messed up or I didn't know what I was talking about. And you're being vulnerable and sharing that with the world and your colleagues of, Hey, I didn't know what I was doing here. I had to ask someone or whatever the case is. So was it scary when you recorded those episodes? And if it was, or wasn't, what was the feedback that you actually received? Not within the four of you as the hosts, what was the feedback you received from colleagues sort of in the community? Did they say like, Hey, I felt the same way or, Hey, don't worry about it. I, I went through the same stuff. Yeah. Um, I remember, I think I thought of that idea and brought it up to the girls because, because that, that, that is essentially our, um, private chat group, right? I mean, you show a picture of a retinal photo or, or you, you say, Hey, my patient's, you know, glasses prescription is this, and it doesn't make sense. Like what, you know, what happened? And, um, I, I knew that, I was becoming more um, on social media. I was more present on there. And I realized like a lot of people share, yeah, a lot of the positive stuff, right? I mean, everyone on Instagram will want to share things that they're really good at and they'll share the cases where everything went well. And I said, well, you know what? Like the whole point of our podcast was to be honest and to share the new grad experience. 
And the new grad experience really is sometimes messing up, screwing up, or just forgetting and having to walk out of the room to tell your patients you'll be back in three minutes and you're Googling stuff just to remind yourself of, you know, it's not that we don't know, it's we learn so much and we don't see these conditions on a regular everyday basis. So sometimes we need Google just to kind of give us a little reminder of, oh yeah, that's the condition and this is how I treat it. Okay, I'm good. And um, to be honest, I was not nervous to share because again, like I just mentioned, I'm a little bit more outspoken. Um, I'm a little bit more aggressive with sharing my own opinions and thinking that they're right all the time. Um, but but I know that people want that. People want to hear people online being honest and candid. And at that point, we started sharing the new grad case reflections by year two of our podcast-ish, by year two-ish. So, I mean, at that point, we already had a lot of feedback from, from people who listened saying they love how honest, open, and candid we are and that they they relate to our experiences. So I was like, why not? I'm sure every new grad is like, oh my God, I did the same thing or oh my God, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. So um, the girls thought it was a great idea. We all shared our experiences and yeah, it has been some of the cases that have had the most positive feedback that were non-interview um, episodes. So like there, there's been so many people who commented saying, this is great. Can you do another one? Can we, can you share another one or, you know, um, and we just haven't had the chance to do it yet, but Deepon and I actually have that. Uh, we have some cases in the back of our minds that we're going to start recording again. And it is scary. I will say, because, um, we know that these are public podcasts. So even though they're intended for optometrists, we are mentally aware that our patients could potentially listen to these episodes. So we are being vulnerable, literally telling our patients for 40 minutes on a microphone that we've missed a step or we had to, you know, go back and rethink things. And, but just like you said, I mean, that is the human, you know, we, we are human. That is the human response to make mistakes and learn from it. And every time we post one of those, we always educate as well on how we addressed our mistakes and how we fix them and, and how we identified where the mistake was and how we're going to learn. So, um, you know, hopefully no patient ever stopped seeing me because of that. episode. I doubt that if anything, like, like you said, it makes you more human. And I'm like, yeah. obviously half the time you're talking in those episodes, I'm like, I don't know what you're actually talking. About. Not a doctor. I have no idea. But I still listen because I love hearing how vulnerable it is. And I, mm -hmm. I do like hearing about your guys' process and what you're going through and, and all that yeah. stuff. But I love those episodes specifically because you guys are so vulnerable. And, and I think it's it's nice to share that, hey, I don't have all the answers because that is going to lead to better patient care down the line. Mm -hmm. You'll be more likely or, you know, that new grad might be more likely to reach out to someone like you guys or their or their principal in the clinic and say, hey. Like, I don't know this. I know this might not look great or whatever the case is. I just graduated. Maybe I should know. Um, but mm -hmm. I don't know this right now. It's not clicking in my head. Instead of just like making an assumption or, or telling the patient something else, it, it makes, it gives you permission to be human, to go and ask for someone for help. Um, and then at the end of the day, provide that better patient care. Yeah. So I'm so glad you guys do it. I don't know which doctor needs to hear this, but um, I have told my patients 
not many, but I've told my patients, I don't know what's going on with your eyes. Like, you know, and it doesn't comfort them when, you know, they have symptoms and they're uncomfortable. You know, some patients will have, you know, um, lots of irritation, discomfort, headaches. And when I look in their eyes, you know, everything's healthy. I see some corneal finding and I, I tell them, I say, listen, I, I see something here. Um, I don't focus on this portion of the eye on an everyday basis. So you know what? I'm going to document it for now. Try this option. Let's follow up with you in two days, see if it's better. And you know what? I'm going to contact one of my colleagues. You know, she works with the cornea every day. You know, I tell my patients, there are other optometrists who, you know, focus on one specific part of the eye that maybe I don't. And I'm going to actually share this with my colleague and then let's see what they say. I have a glaucoma patient that I just saw this morning who's had glaucoma since before I was born, 1986. And she had all of her testing and handed it to me from 1986. She has severe and moderate advanced stage glaucoma in both eyes. And I am not a glaucoma fanatic, right? But she's in my chair. I need to know, are these drops working for her? Is her eye pressure the way it should be? Her visual fields look horrendous, but are they stable? Is this good enough? Is this not good enough? I told her, you know, I said, you got a lot going on and I don't see this every single day. So I'm going to call my colleague who, you know, works at a glaucoma clinic. I'm going to show him your results if you're comfortable with that. And then let's get a second opinion going. And then when I follow up with you, let's go through the game plan again. Patients are totally fine with that. And I think they love it when they hear you are willing to go get them that second opinion and ask a colleague and and have them take a look. I Like, yeah, when you're honest with them, I highly doubt they're going to be upset with you. I think they're going to appreciate that because they know you're being empathetic and they know that you care. You just don't know how to help them just yet, but you're, you're trying to find a solution for them. So it's, it's okay to say it. I think it builds even more trust. I could tell you in my yeah. industry, like I do mortgages, but there'll be mm -hmm. certain files. I'm like, I don't know how to deal with this. Like, especially on like commercial or construction, yeah. I'll just refer them to a colleague and clients who tell me like, I just, I appreciate you that much more. Cause you didn't try your hand at yeah. it and set up or whatever the case yeah, you is. Didn't fake it. And that's the case across the board. I think regardless of what profession you're in and people are always okay with going to someone else who might be a specialist, as long as you refer them. And on the note of these case reflections, I don't know if this episode was a case reflection, but I would say it's hands down my favorite episode. And it was the episode where you were talking about identifying or potentially identifying a case where there was abuse. Um, I'll yeah. <laughs> put the show notes and everything and I'll link all the episodes and I'll definitely link this episode. It was hands down my favorite, not just because of the story, but I'll be honest, I think you displayed like a masterclass of doctoring, quote unquote, whatever oh, that thank is, you. <laughs> because I appreciate that. there was so many layers to what you did. And I thought it was just so amazing because you went beyond just asking the questions an optometrist would. You were mm -hmm. asking the questions, you know, any concerned person would about a patient. And then you collaborated with other healthcare professionals. And then you went and Googled things and did things you were afraid of doing. So if you're okay with it, do you mind giving an overview of sort of what happened in that case so that people can actually yeah. go and listen to the episode or, or just like a trailer yeah. so that they go and listen? Because I think yeah. every doctor should hear it across Canada. Oh, man. Actually, you know what? That was an episode that I debated on. Like, I knew that I wanted to talk about 
um, you know, reporting suspected child abuse. Um, because yeah, it is a situation that I experienced, you know, in my exam chair and I didn't know how to handle it. So I said, this is definitely a topic that needs to be on our podcast, but you know, how deep can I go into the situation? Because it was definitely a scary one. I, I, you know, at some point I, I, um, you know what we can, yeah, we can just kind of go into, it was a, it was a situation where I had a young teenager come to my office for a concussion or head injury related complaint. You know, she, um, she jumped at home, fell, you know, bumped her head on the sofa. Um, she had a big lump on her head and she has blurry vision. When did this happen? A few weeks back. So, you know, and, and the, the, the mom is in with her and, you know, I say, well, if your vision has been this blurry for, you know, three weeks or four weeks, whatever it is, um, did you express that? Like, you know, did you tell anyone? Um, yeah, you know, she did. And I got very vague answers from both the patient and the mother. And, you know, it just, it, it already didn't sit well because, you know, if you, if you really lost your vision after a big bump on the head. Um, you would think that you'd have a hospital visit, a family doctor visit, any, anything, any, any initial response would be similar to that. Um, and it just wasn't, but you know what, um, you have to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. You know, I, my own mom has been suspected, right. Of child abuse from my sister as a, you know, a four-year-old getting so excited to pick me up and she dislocated my shoulder while she lifted me and that happened twice. And so, you know, I get it. I, I don't want parents to ever feel like they're, you know, the nurse was looking at my mom going like, what's happening at home. And my mom was like, Oh, get me out of this hospital. Like, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I, I, I'm, I've had that personal connection to that and I get it. So sometimes even now, if something is a little sus, I just, Kind of, I kind of let it go the first time because I'm like, you know what? I have to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. We don't know what happens behind closed doors. We don't know if the child really even communicates with the parents. Maybe they're hiding something. You never know. But then the situation recurred two more times um, within their follow-up period. So, you know, we gave her some glasses, advised her to, you know, be cautious. And, and, then, and then she comes back in the same complaint, the same bump on the head. Um, you know, no answers and no descriptions to how the injury happened, what happened after the injury. Did any other care take place? No. So then, of course, it got to a point where I was just very uncomfortable in that room. And I said, it's just not okay. And I can't, I, I was uncomfortable asking more questions. So I had to ask, well, who's responsible then to ask further questions aside from me? And that is the children's, um, what is it? The children's aid society. Um, I don't even remember it now. See, like this is, I'm still learning. Um, but basically I decided to contact the family doctor, talk about the situation. The results from that phone call led me to call child support and um, report the case. So yeah, the whole thing um, in that episode, I talk about it step-by-step. Step. I talk about the emotions, all the, all the, stuff that went down. Um, and yeah, actually at the end of that, I did receive a very long written letter from the mother who was absolutely not happy with what I did. 
um, who threatened to not threatened. I should take that back. Who questioned my ability to practice, um, who questioned my ethics and who questioned my judgment on the situation. And she requested that my practice and the, um, the optometric owners of that practice who've hired me to, um, reassess my ability to work at their place. So, you know, I understand as a mother, I'm not a mother, but I understand for that mother, I'm sure it was a very uncomfortable situation when children, um, children's aid comes to the house. Um, but I still don't regret doing it because I think when you listen to that episode, everything about it just didn't sit well. And to this day, I still have that letter upstairs. It's one of my, it's in my memory box. Um, because that was the, that was the first day in my life I ever said, do I need a lawyer? <laughs> and, um, luckily I did not. Um, I was within my right to make the report. Um, but yeah, these are the kind of learning things that not a lot of people talk about. No one's glamorizing this kind of stuff on social media. So, um, that's, that's where the podcast, that's what it's doing. And that's what it's for. Yeah, so yeah it was crazy. I'll, it was a crazy episode. I'll definitely link it in yeah. the show notes once I figure out how to do that. But um, I just thought it was such a great episode because of Thank you. everything you did was just beyond the scope of what a traditional doctor would do. Or, yeah. what, or at least when you were, you know, young woman going through optometry school, you probably never really thought you'd deal with a case like that. And so yeah. you performed, not performed, but yeah, let's call it performed very well under the circumstances, mm -hmm. I thought. And yeah, it's it's better safe <laughs> than sorry. Um, cause if, if there is no abuse, then great. The parents, yeah. you know, worst, the worst thing that happens is they feel a little bit offended, mm -hmm. but the best case scenario is you're helping out a kid in, yeah. who's yeah. in an abusive situation. So yes. sort of like no harm, no foul at worst. You, you hurt someone's feelings, yeah. um, and make them offended, but best you could be saving a life or, you know, potentially you have, really bettering that kid's life. You have a length of protection when you make the complaint because um at any time you complain or make a complaint or a concern to um um to like a whatever society um it is like because in the states and in Canada it's a different society um so I can't remember which one I keep calling it children's aid that might be wrong um but when you call these foundations and you make a complaint of child abuse they are only going to inspect that case if they believe that your concern is valid. So you are okay to share that concern with them. That does not mean that, you know, the parents are going to find out and the kid's going to get taken away. They are going to assess that case and then let you know if it's a valid case or not. And so that was what I ultimately took away from that situation. Like if you have the suspicions moving forward, don't be shy, just report it. And then, they'll let you know if you're going crazy, like, you know, making up scenarios or if, or if it really does sound suspicious, like they'll let you know. Um, so yeah. Absolutely. That's why I think that episode is so important. So for anyone who's listening, I will link it and they should go listen to it if they're a healthcare professional, because of exactly what you said, there was so many misconceptions where you're like, oh, I could actually report this and nothing might happen because I'm referring yeah. this to a specialist who sees this stuff every single day and they'll tell me if my concerns are valid or not. So yeah. it was so great on, on multiple layers. And I guess on the similar note of dealing with kids, um, I've obviously been following you for a long time and it, it's great to see you sort of bolstering your social media presence and being more active. 
Um, but it seems now compared to before you mm -hmm. are putting out content and even making resources that are more directed towards children and pediatrics yeah. and vision care for kids. Is that something that is intentional? Is that the direction you want to work towards? Because it seems you did that even while you were in residency. So what's the motivation yeah. of doing that? And is that your goal of working with more children? Yeah, that kind of evolved post-residency. Um, vision therapy and rehabilitation is definitely a service for patients of all ages. And during my residency program, I dealt with a lot of school-aged children um, because Berkeley also provides a separate pediatric residency where that optometrist is doing more uh, primary care and advanced care for pediatrics, you know, ages zero to 19. I'm dealing with the kids who have binocular vision and processing issues or developmental delays. Um, so a lot of them were, you know, school aged or older. And then I was dealing with a lot of concussion patients or stroke patients or head injury. So I don't really think I had a passion exactly for pediatrics and kids until I started practicing in the real world. And um, I think a lot of people who know me probably know this, but like, I think my, my motivations and my passions develop from my anger and frustrations. <laughs> Again, because I like to be opinionated and I like to talk and I like to educate um, to get people to understand my points of views, even though I'm open to understanding other people's points of views. But so when I started practicing, I mean, so many parents had zero clue that kids' eye exams even started in infancy, you know, and every single child that I'm seeing with amblyopia, strabismus, high refractive errors, tracking issues, um, behavioral disorders, or diagnosed ADHD and they're on medication, but guess what? They have oculomotor dysfunction. And if we do vision therapy on them, they don't need the ADHD medication. Maybe, maybe their ADHD diagnosis does not exist anymore. Um, like there's so many things about pediatrics that on an everyday basis irks me. And I was like, you know what? I need to use Instagram and social media and, and I need to make my voice louder. And I need to just like educate people more because I think associations do a great job, but Again, there is always politics with associations and organizations. So they have to say things that are still very broad and very generic um, and, and very like public friendly. Um, but you know, with social media, you can be personal. You can get down to the nitty gritty. You can educate people on, you know, why an eye exam at six months old is important rather than just throwing a banner saying, get an eye exam at six months. Um, so there's, yeah, my frustration and anger really drives actually a lot of the content that I create um, because I get frustrated and upset when I see these, you know, seven-year-old kids with amblyopia who are still in third, who are in third grade or what, or second grade because the public school system is still pushing them through, even though their reading level is still at the beginning of first grade. And, and that like, oh yeah, I love the kids so much now. Like now I treat them all like my own, trying not to be creepy there, but <laughs> they really are my own. Um, and I want them to thrive and be better in school and enjoy learning and reading. And so that's kind of where my passion started. 
Um, and that's, that's where my social media kind of took a turn to, and, and on social media in, in the optometry world, pediatrics is not a sexy topic. Like no one's talking about kids. Right. So I did, I do believe that I started a little niche where there needed to be more content and information. And now there is, which is really nice. Yeah. I think it's perfect because I think this goes to optometry as a whole. Mm -hmm. If people just come in and get their kids checked up or even as adults get their stuff checked up, there's so much you guys can prevent. Like you don't need to go in when your eyes not functioning anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like you go in, you make sure everything's checked. You guys can diagnose so many conditions that I don't think most people are aware of before, yeah. you know, there's just, there's such a need for it. And I'm glad that you said your anger <laughs> drives a lot yeah. of the content you make. Cause I'm in the same boat. The reason yeah. I'm so passionate about financial planning is because of my mom and how I grew up poor and how she was just ill-advised on so many yeah. topics. And I joke with my brother that anger is actually, in my opinion, one of the best fuel sources because it it's burns. So yeah, it, it, it's endless and it's usually coming from a pace, sorry, a place of fighting for injustice or something that we see wrong in the world that we yeah. want to go out there and, you know, fix that. So I think mm -hmm. it's it's absolutely OK to be angry and then to express that just, yeah. you know, but using like transmuting that anger in a positive way. For the betterment yeah. of society so i'm so glad that you're like i think that's why you and i get along so well because i was like yes we're like the we're same like person <laughs> in a lot of ways yeah exactly so it's great that you're doing it and yeah you are i think one of the only people i know who's really focusing in on that area or at least making yeah yeah um i wanted to switch gears here a bit mm -hmm. um and it's kind of somewhat related but there's sort of a standard three questions i'll be asking on the podcast to, to all the guests because i think they they tell a lot about a person um, and my first one is who is or who are your biggest inspirations? This could be personally, this could be professionally, that could be one person, it could be multiple people, but who really inspires you on a regular basis? To be honest, I, I do think it's a handful of people. Um, I don't even think that I could isolate one person because yes, personally, um, my husband is definitely truly my better half and he encourages me to be a better person every day. Um, and he, he says it jokingly, we've been together for 10 years now. He said, Oh my God, if you stayed the way you were in year one or year two, he's like, I, I could, I would not be able to handle you anymore. <laughs> so he's seen that evolution of me, um, just to be a better person, be more kind, be more understanding, more patient. Um, and, um, you're definitely an inspiration for my financial status. Like, you know, I can, I can kind of categorize things. So, um, the reason why I, I reached out to you is because to be my financial planner is from, you know, the interview we had with you early on, on our podcast. And yeah, just like what you said, we have similar thoughts and a similar mindset and personality, but every time you educate us, um, and educate me on, my financial status and how I can handle it. Um, that kind of also motivates me then to rethink my career, rethink, you know, what I do on a daily basis to how I want to contribute to that financial status, you know, over time. Um, my family, I think my parents and my siblings definitely, um, personally, they, they're my inspiration, um, because I also want to just make them proud every day. <laughs> um, in the optometry world, there's there's a good 
chunk of a handful of ODs that, like I mentioned, it's the ODs that I've met through social media, um, that I've met, you know, through the podcast that I text, you know, anytime I'm nervous about the career. I mean, especially during job action, you know, what's going to happen to us um, or, you know, how do I go about you know, this business venture that I'm doing. And, you know, I just ask them questions and there's a good handful of them. And most of them are seasoned ODs. And I look up to them even more because they take the time after 10 to 15 years of practicing. to They take their time out of their dinner, you know, with their family to text me back, you know, who I'm only like, you know, three years out of, out of school. Um, so I appreciate that from those people. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the kind words. Um, mm -hmm. definitely. But knowing your, your husband, he's someone I look up to as well. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I joke with you all the time. He is the best husband. I know he's, I think I, yeah, you're, guy. I think, um, you definitely <laughs> give a lot more love to my husband than me. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know. I have a bit of a crush. On him. He's just, yeah. he's such a good guy. He's just so nice. He's too nice. He's yeah. too nice. Right. And that's, we're complete opposites. And so I've, I've become nicer. Um, and we always joke saying, well, you know, he's probably become more rude and mm -hmm. angry, but no, he hasn't. We haven't mm -hmm. switched. He's still yeah, that we, way. We need more of him in the world. Yeah, great yeah we do. Um, I guess on the note of talking about your finances, in a sense, um, another two questions I'm going to ask all the clients is what is your biggest financial mistake if you've made any so far? Um, and then what's the best financial decision that you think you've made so far? Mm. Um, to be honest, yeah, I'd say... I can't think of a financial mistake yet. I'm sure I'm going to make one. Um, and I'm, and I'm waiting for that day because that's going to be a big learning lesson for me. Um, but also because I haven't really had enough financial status yet <laughs> to make a mistake. Um, but I know you've talked about this, you know, when we were doing our financial planning sessions, um, you know, I'm just, I was preparing myself for the last three years of that, you know, what you call that adulting avalanche. I mean, I have zero finances, you know, I'm still a student, got all this loan debt. And now, you know, I have a significant other, we want to buy a house, we I have to buy a car to get to work. Um, that was a crazy experience that my mother never lets me forget about. Um, you know, it's funny coming out as an optometrist day one, you've just graduated, you just got a job, but you need a car to go to your job. And so the car dealership said, well, what's your income? And I said, well, it will be this, yeah. you know, just trust me. And he's like, okay, well, how long, well, how long have you been at your practice? I, my, my mom was sitting next to me and she got so embarrassed. She wanted to leave. Cause I said a day. I've been working a day and I need this car. And my mom said, Oh, good Lord, get me away from this child. She's so embarrassing. She has no money, but like, those are the financial struggles. How can you attain these things to get to your job? You know, like these are the things that, um, coming out of school was really daunting and challenging. Um, but best financial decision I've made, um, to be honest, I, I haven't made any great financial decisions. It's been you and my husband doing my finances for me. And so I will say um, what I loved about your financial advice was the emergency fund. 
I think that is one of the greatest financial decisions that I and my husband have made together that I never would have thought about. Um, because yeah, when, when we were on job action, I mean, we had an emergency savings fund just in case if I, you know, lost my job or if I, you know, didn't have the best income at that time. And that emergency fund is still there. We're still adding a little bit to it here and there, but it's, it's definitely a cushion. And so now that makes me feel more comfortable knowing God forbid, you know, if I get sick, if I have to take off work. Um, if I do want to go on a vacation and I don't want to work for a month, um, you know what? It's there. And that is actually a really, really good financial decision that, um, that I've been happy with so far. Yeah, no, well, I'll say this. If we keep working together, I don't think you'll make any financial mistakes, or at least I should be able to intervene pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the adulting avalanche is so true, because when I first met you, you were like the epitome of the adulting avalanche which is, you know, you yeah. finish school, you got six figures of student loan debt, you got to buy your first car, you maybe want to get married, buy a house, you know, yeah. potentially have children in the future or start planning for them in the future. Yeah, buy a clinic, save an investors, mm -hmm. all these responsibilities to just get thrown on you. And you're like, mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out my career I'm in my late 20s. Some of my friends are still yeah. partying, some are getting married. It's like such yeah. a confusing time. And then you're hit with all these financial responsibilities. And so I was just honored that I got to be there to help because it is one of those times where you're like, just basic stuff. You're like, I, I don't know this. I wasn't taught this. I've spent my whole life studying, you know, medicine or optometry or dentistry, mm -hmm. or whatever that case might be. Um, it's nice having sort of some, obviously someone, this is a shameless plug, but having someone you can ask those questions yeah. to. Um, it's true. It's, but it is it very, out very scary nice. during those, that process, at least. Yeah. I think mapping it out was the best thing we ever did. So, you know, we, we mapped out short-term goals and long-term goals and short-term really just meant, what do you want to get done this year? <laughs> you know, long-term, what do you want to get done in three years or five years? Not 15, not 10. I mean, right when you come out of school and you have all this on your shoulders, you can't even think past tomorrow sometimes. So mapping it out was so helpful. And I've seen that evolution of our financial goals, um, you know, over the past three years with you. And it's like, you just look back at year one and you're like, holy crap, like that's, that's where we were at really. Like we're so different now compared to that time. Um, so yeah, that's the emergency fund is definitely one of the, you know, great financial decisions, but I think that's one that as a student and like just coming out of school, if I, if I never had a financial planner, I don't think anyone would have told me that, um, especially like just not out of my own group of friends and family. Uh, I just, I've never even heard of it before actually. So that was a great one. Yeah, no, absolutely. I guess on that note, mm -hmm. sort of wrap this up. What's next for you? And we'll split that up personally as Amrit and then professionally as Dr. Bilku. What's let's say the next one to five years hold for you. Oh gosh. Um, personally, I do want to work on, well, you know what? Everything's about my career. That's a really hard part. <laughs> Um, because that's how I keep myself busy, to be honest. I don't have a lot of hobbies outside of optometry, but I purposely kind of fell into that, you know, because my social media content, um, a lot of it, I, I'm not compensated for my Instagram content, right? And so I make that content just to better myself um, as, a, as a clinician and just to better educate. Um, but the, the process of digital creation 
is so therapeutic for me um, that one of my personal goals is to start taking a little bit more time off throughout the year to enjoy and sit down at home working on digital content, whether or not it's paid for. And that's something that I feel like probably a lot of people would never want to do, right? They'd be like, why would I take off a day of work to make an Instagram post for free? Like that's, that's, that's insane. Um, and my husband said the same thing. He's like, you're crazy. Why are you going to do that? Um, but then you know what, that whatever hobbies you work on, whatever passion you have that builds your growth, your character that helps you connect with the outside world. And that's your referral system. So for one whole year, I've had that Instagram account um, for free and I've made all that stuff with no compensation or intent for collaborations. And um, I'm getting a lot of parents coming to see me for second opinion eye exams for their kids because they see my content online and they, you know, they want to know my opinion. They will not ask any questions about my treatment plans. Like they, they trusted me. Mm. Right. So, so I build that, um, personally, I think I'm just building my own personal, I hate saying it brand, but I'm building my own personal growth with that. So that's what I'm aiming to do for the next few years is take a little bit of time off to just make the content and trust, trust in the process and have fun with it. Um, professionally, Thanks to you, Gertage, shameless plug. Um, I am starting to build my own private practice with a business partner. Uh, my partner's name is Dr. Manraj Farvaha. So he's also an optometrist from ICO. Um, we're both working to open up a practice in Vaughan, at Ontario, and um, it's in the construction phases now. So over the, you know, two and a half years that, you know, we've, done our financial planning with you. Um, and I'll just say to everyone, Gertage did not tell me to talk about this or say this. Yeah, <laughs> I feel <laughs> but, bad. I was like, I'm going to have to cut some of this out. It's going to seem like no, I just cut this up. Yeah. No, but because um, I've been really good now with managing my financial goals, the first time I met you, we said, we wrote down long-term goal is to open up a practice. And I wrote down, you know, within 10 years, like, you know, who knows, maybe I won't afford it. Maybe we won't get there. Like this is year three of me practicing and we already hit so many financial goals and we still haven't reached some, but we know how long it's going to take to get there. And we've mapped it all out that, um, at this point in my life, I was like, you know what? I think with a business partner, it also financially um, fits in my goals and my financial plan. Um, so we just said, yeah, let's go for it. Like, I think we're ready. We're ready for the autonomy. We're ready to customize our care, offer that specialty pediatric therapy service um, and, and, and grow our, you know, income and finance finances like exponentially down the road. It's definitely not going to happen the first few years. Um, but you can see the opportunity for more, you know, financial growth in having your own private practice. And so again, with the optometry podcast, with all the networking I've done with the amazing ODs that I've met in the last three years, they have all changed my thoughts on private practice. 
And so they are, and you are all the reason why I've now decided to um, become a practice owner. So yeah, it's going to be really exciting. Honestly, I'm so excited for you. I think you're yeah. like cut out perfectly for, you know, private practice. Cause obviously I, I meet with lots of clients and some are sort of, they want to do it, but they're not hundred percent there. Maybe mom and dad's telling them to do it. And you can mm-hmm. see that they're not all there, or maybe their personality's not cut out for it. Not to say they won't be successful a lot. Yeah. You don't have to be cut out for it to be successful. in, as weird as that sounds, cause it is yeah. a business that is well established. It's a little, not cookie cutter, but yeah, it's not comp extremely complicated. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah. think your personality and how passionate you are about the profession, I think you guys are going to do amazing. So yeah, and- I am very, very excited. When is the potential launch date again? It's later this year, correct? Oh, gosh. Um. Yeah, we're still in construction mode, but we're really aiming to be ready by spring 2023. And I mean, like late spring, uh, late spring, early summer, because um, you can never trust contractors to give you the right date, right? I love my contractor. Urban Spaces is awesome. But, you know, you just never know. There's been so many snowstorms, too, you know. Um, you don't want the guys working and all that snow. So um, we're just waiting around. Um, it is getting in its final construction phases, though. So, we're, yeah, we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm very happy that you're starting one. I think you yeah. guys are going to do fantastic once it finally is up and running. And it's great that you have a business partner as well, because then you always have that, you know, the pressure is not completely on you. You yes. get to you get that camaraderie with someone. And based on your track record so far, collaborating with other optometrists is, you know, proven to be very, very fruitful. So I'm excited yes. for you. Can't wait for it to actually come to fruition. Yes. That's like a whole nother thing. Um, that could be a whole nother episode identifying the right business partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's so far it's going great. We know how to openly communicate with each other. Um, we have the same goals too, the same mindset. And I think that's, um, and the same financial goals for the practice. And we understand the finances at the same level. Um, so there's, there's really no, um, like animosity and there's no like confusion with who's, you know, not on the same page. Um, but yeah, it, and it's all thanks to you too, Gertage. Like I think, um, financial planning that is, financial planning and understanding business and money is not something that doctors learn in their healthcare careers and programs. So this stuff hits all of us in the face right when we graduate and we have zero clue how to handle it. And you're lucky if you do have a significant other coming out of this because they likely do have a full-time job and they have a steady income and, you know, they've supported you through this, but I think it's hard even, it's even more hard for people who are single coming out of this, right? Like they're, they're living on their own. They have to live back with family. They have their own finances with no one else to lean on. So I think financial planning services were so important and like they really did make me feel confident about what to do tomorrow, what to do next year and what to do in five years and then what to do if that doesn't work out. Like we, we have so many plans and I think that's really important for everyone to know. Yeah, no, I appreciate the kind words and it it is so, so important. And you're right with most of medical professionals, if you do have a partner, they've probably been working for some time, whereas you, Mm -hmm. you know, you're late twenties and probably never really worked that much at all because even in high school, you're trying to get great grades in undergrad. You're not really bartending or doing these part-time jobs mm-hmm. on the weekends because you're volunteering and, you know, you got to attain mm-hmm. a 4.0 or a 3.8 or whatever that might be. So um, all this money management skills and just life skills just get thrown on your plate all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, so it is, a, it is very, very important. 
Yeah. Um, I guess to wrap it up, because it is extremely late on uh, your side of the coast, um, any final words or any message to any other healthcare professionals? Because you are going to be one of the first episodes, but I would assume it's not just going to be optometrists. It'll be dentists and physicians mm -hmm. and other medical professionals. Any final words to your fellow colleagues? Um, and then where is the best place to actually get connected with you and reach out to you? I kind of just extending what I think I said previously um, for all healthcare professionals, because yeah, at the end of the day, we're all really in the same boat. Um, we all learn, you know, the medical side of health and, you know, how to, how to care for our patients, um, how to be the best doctor we could be, or the best healthcare provider we can be. Um, but we really don't learn how to handle everything else outside of our healthcare career um, in our lives. And yes, you are in this little bubble when you're in school. Your job is school. Your job is to pass the board exams, pass your jurisprudence, get your license. Everything is just a step-by-step process that of course also has a dollar sign to it that you have to keep paying for. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of my own friends and colleagues say, oh, like, you know, financial planning. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't really have one. And, oh, you know, like take this business course. No, you know, so many people get by and like, I'll figure it out. No, you should really connect with these people and you should get that second opinion and get some starter advice from the professionals. Because just as much as you hate your own patient Googling their problems, and then going to you and telling you what they have, financial planners, accountants, business owners, like, um, you know, bank people, they have this job professionally for a reason, right? So they also probably hate the people that, you know, just DIY learning it themselves. You know, it's, it's, it's good, but it's, not the greatest advice. Like you want to get it from the professional yourself. So I highly do recommend financial planning services, get a good accountant, make sure you're friends with one lawyer who can at least help you in like rough situations, like get a professional connection in all these categories and don't feel stupid or shy to get their help. Cause it really does uh, make you, more confident in handling your, your stuff when you graduate. I, oh, and then, yeah, sorry. I, I tell my clients that you have to almost look at yourself like a professional athlete. LeBron mm -hmm. James probably has a nutritionist and a trainer and a kinesiologist yeah. and a physio. And a, it's almost the same thing with your actual professional life as a, yeah. you know, as a, as a doctor, you need your financial planner, you need your accountant, you need your lawyer, you need your banker. All these yeah. people really create a team around you so that, like you said, you can go out and do what you are good at which is, you know, yeah. serving your patients. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. I'm glad you mentioned it, but let's talk about where people can reach out to you. Where can they find you? What's the best place to follow you? I'll include the notes and everything later, but what's the best places? Yeah, I think social media is the easiest place, right? So, um, Instagram, my handle is at doctor. So dr. Bilku. Um, and then I think LinkedIn is very similar. Uh, it's my full name, um, our podcast is mainly for optometrists, um, but, you know, any healthcare professional can listen to it because it is really just the perspective of optometric, you know, healthcare from a new graduate doctor. So it's very candid, very 
uh, down to earth, very honest, um, not very professional sometimes, but um, it's fun. So it's four eyes optometry. Um, that's on Instagram at four eyes optom. It's on every podcast platform, YouTube. Um, and then I, through Instagram, if you DM me, um, I'm very happy to give you my phone number or email. If you ever want to talk personally and, um, ask me any questions. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that'll be great. I think, uh, I'm not sure exactly what the audience is going to be yet. Cause this is mm -hmm. going to be one of the earlier episodes, but I have a feeling it'll be a lot of, you know, kids in undergrad or even going into graduate yeah. school questions of, okay, these are doctors that are out there in community that I look up to. So it's great to just have that resource for them to message and say, <laughs> Hey, you know, Dr. Bilku, I'm confused about this thing. What was your experience? Or, Hey, I'm going to ICO as well. Or, Hey, I'm going to Berkeley or, mm -hmm. you know, it's just yeah. having someone to ask those questions to, which I think is great. Yeah. And I will absolutely say everyone who is a healthcare professional should at least listen to podcasts in other disciplines. Like I'm a financial yeah. planner and I listen to your guys' stuff. Yeah. Uh, just so I can understand what my clients are going through or the day-to-day -day stuff that struggles that you guys have. But I think you guys provide a great, you know, sort of perspective. If I'm a general practicing physician, I want to know what the optometrists are going through or what their day-to-day -day mm -hmm. lives look like so that I can, you know, make referrals a little bit better, or just overall improve yeah. that patient experience. So I do highly recommend so everyone true. goes and listens to your guys' podcast and then follows your stuff. You also have an Etsy store. Do you want to plug that as well? Oh, yeah, I do. Um, Yeah, see, I forget about this sometimes because I make this content really just for uh, settling my anger. But <laughs> then, you know, I I have a um, I, I make a profit off of that. So, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I have an Etsy page. Um, It's I Dr. Bilku, um, EYE Dr. Bilku. And um, I create some handouts for pediatric optometry. So there's handouts out there for parents who have newborn babies on vision developmental milestones for infants, visual processing issues that relate to, you know, academic challenges at school. Um, those handouts are really good for parents, but also teachers, educators, and anyone that homeschools. Um, and there's some handouts out there for clinics that want to um, have some flyers on binocular vision, um, things like that. So, I'm definitely slowly building on that page. There's there's not a lot of options on there, but um, it's because I'm not as angry these days. So because the Instagram is working, <laughs> more parents are coming in, bringing in their kids early. So um, so yeah, it's it's another great place to just get some resources, um, and it's more aesthetically pleasing. So you can gift it to any expecting parent, um, you know, for a new baby coming coming through. Yeah, I have a niece coming in a few weeks, so I'll definitely be buying some of these. Oh, nice. My sister-in-law. Um, oh, yeah, because they are. They're very aesthetically pleasing. And mm. parents, if there's one thing they are, is they are confused. And they're like, what do I do for my kid? And they love their kid dearly. So the more info you can give them, the better they can, you know, at least feel more secure about uh, raising yes. that kid. Yes. I should probably wrap this up because I feel like we could talk yeah. forever. It's almost 11 o'clock where you are. So honestly, thank yeah, you so okay. much for taking the time. I napped I know it's my late whole as sleep. You, you know, I had to nap for like two hours anyways to feel better. So I'm good. <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Thank you so no, much. No, no, thank you on. for honestly being on. This was fantastic. And that concludes our seventh episode of the Dollars and Doctor show. 
I want to extend a big thank you to Dr. Amrit Bilku for being a guest on the podcast and taking time out of her day at 9 p.m. on a weeknight to record this episode. If you'd like to reach out to Dr. Bilku, I'll include her contact information in the show notes, as well as links to her social media and her podcast that we mentioned in this episode. This episode was brought to you by White Coat Financial. Our goal at White Coat Financial is to change the financial planning industry by combining a fiduciary duty with a one-stop shop experience for our clients. If you're a Canadian doctor and you're looking for financial advice on mortgages, investing, insurance, taxes, or any other financial matters, visit our website, www.whitecoatfinancial.ca. On our website, you'll be able to schedule a free initial consultation to learn about how White Coat Financial can help you protect your income, grow your money, and live better. If you have any questions or feedback for us, you can email me directly at gurthage at whitecoatfinancial.ca. Thank you for your attention, thank you for your time, and thank you for your ongoing support. I look forward to speaking with you soon. The information contained in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and it is not to be taken as financial advice. While the host of this podcast is a registered financial planner, nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as financial advice. Before making any financial decisions, you should always consult with a financial professional about your unique circumstances and personal situation. The hosts and guests of this podcast are not responsible for any errors or omissions or for any actions taken based on the information provided in this podcast. It is the responsibility of the listener to do their own due diligence and make informed financial decisions.